Hello, welcome to the Wash SDG podcast, a podcast in which we will talk about water, sanitation and hygiene from different perspectives and themes. So this podcast is part of a mini-series hosted by the Wash SDG Consortium. It draws on the experience of the Wash SDG programme, which is a programme currently in implementation in various countries in Africa and Asia. The Wash SDG programme aims to contribute to the Sustainable Development Goals and particularly SDG 6 in its aim to reach an improved situation of water, sanitation and hygiene, or WASH as we call it, for all. The consortium is formed by several Dutch NGOs represented by WASH Alliance International under the lead of CIMAVI, SMV and Plan International Netherlands. So these organisations partner with a large number of other NGOs and public-private institutions in the countries where the programme is implemented. My name is Eva Duarte-Davidson and I'm the host of this podcast. I work for Simavi, the programme lead, as WASH SDG Consortium Programme Coordinator. We plan for our first talk to coincide with Menstrual Hygiene Day, which is also a really special day within the WASH sector. In a year where everything and everyone's been affected in some way or another by COVID-19, we thought it'd be appropriate to use today's podcast to reflect on how people have managed their periods during the COVID-19 pandemic and particularly how the closure of schools has affected girls and their access and education on menstrual hygiene matters. Our guests today are Samuel Kisa and Pema Lagi, talking to us directly from Uganda and Nepal. Welcome, Samuel. Welcome, Pema. And happy Menstrual Hygiene Day. Great if you could introduce yourselves. Uh, shall we start with Pema? Hello, everyone. My name is Pema Lucky, and I work at NFCC. Uh, NFCC is a national NGO in Nepal, which has been working on sexual reproductive health and rights for the past 33 years and um, been working on uh, menstruation for the past uh, 13, 14 years. And under the WASH SDG program, we work with Simavi partners to integrate menstrual health as a key component in the work that they are doing currently uh, in WASH in Nepal. Brilliant. Thanks, Pema. Uh, Samuel? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Andrew Samuel Kiza. I work for Plan International Uganda, a girls-focused organization that advances children's rights and equality for girls. One of the major uh, programs that we are implementing under the WASH country program, where I'm the lead, is menstrual health and hygiene. Great. Thanks, Samuel. Um, so, menstrual hygiene management, um, that we also refer to as MHM in the field, we love acronyms like many others, um, it's defined uh, by the United Nations as the use of clean menstrual management products to soap menstrual discharge by women that are changeable in privacy as required with proper access to water soap and disposable methods. MHM is addressed within the WASH SDG program at several levels. There's the demand and the supply side of MHM products and services, and there's also the link between WASH governance and MHM products and services. The closure of schools due to COVID-19 and related lockdown measures have had an immediate effect on these. Um, Bema, in your region in Nepal, how do girls normally learn about MHM? What role do schools take in the process? The government of Nepal has endorsed an MHM training package which was developed back in 2015 by NFCC. And uh, this is essentially the standard source of information through the formal sector, which is in, in the case here, schools. This package, it, is, uh, it trains teachers and make them 
the primary sources of information and it is implemented in schools. And uh, in the case of Nepal, uh, young girls learn about menstruation from their mothers. And this learning doesn't include the biological aspects, but rather this restrictions part of menstruation, which immediately triggers this internalization of stigma associated with menstruation. And that is why in countries like Nepal, there is, I think the whole conversation around it is more governed by all the restrictions that are associated with menstruation. And much as the schools want to do it and give the technical and try to normalize it, unfortunately, it is the mothers, based on a study that we conducted, who are the primary source of information and they stick to the restrictions part of it. Yeah, really interesting. Samuel, is it similar in Uganda? And um, why is education in um, on MHM in schools so important? One, it's important to point out that menstruation is fundamental for the dignity and education of girls in Uganda. You find that 50% of girls in Uganda do not go to school when they have their periods. So in a nutshell, um, it's very significant for us that we use the schools because one, they provide a safer place, but two, it's a point where we have the experts with that skills and knowledge. Key points there that you're making, Samuel. Um, so passing on to the next question, how did COVID-19 restrictions impact people who menstruate? I feel like uh, the pandemic has restricted and disrupted everything. Uh, access to products included, information, as we mentioned, privacy because everybody is home. We know that GBV cases have increased because of the, the stress and, you know, there are so many other, other factors. And finally, I think this is something that we need to sort of really get into. The other way that COVID has really affected how people menstruate is also it has affected the menstrual cycles because of the stress associated with the, with the pandemic. And so that also needs to be included as one of the ways that it's not just about the materialistic part of material aspect of it, not, I'm sorry, not material, the material part in terms of access to products and, you know, management facilities, but also the whole cycle, because we know that stress plays a role in, in the regularity of menstrual cycles. So even that has been affected, I feel. I do also agree. Yes. Uh, because it's clear that the, the restrictions, um, one, they, they disrupted the supply chain of menstrual health uh, products, despite the fact that uh, our program of WASH SDG has had built the capacity of the WASH entrepreneurs uh, who are making uh, reusable parts in the communities. During the COVID-19 uh, uh pandemic and because of the restriction, they were not in a position to access the materials to make the parts. So in uh, this one um, disrupted that so much. And uh, because they were not in a position, uh, it left a gap where the, the women and the girls in the communities were left with no option but to use the unhygienic uh, kind of methods like the wraps. That's the first one. The, the second one, which is very clear, is that uh, these restrictions, uh, because like uh, in Uganda, when you had these restrictions early in March, uh, there was no movement of vehicles, limited movement of goods. So it had an impact in terms of access to products, uh, for instance, parts. 
So linking to this last point, Samuel, uh, do you think menstrual hygiene management was prioritised sufficiently during COVID-19 by the public institutions in your country? I appreciate uh, what the government did, the government of Uganda, uh, just to bring to your attention that um, in Uganda we have the MHM coalition, which is composed of civil society organisations and the government. And uh, we have been working together and trying as much as possible to spearhead uh, lobby for increased funding, amplify the MHM issues in Uganda. Now, during the COVID-19, we, we continue to working virtually with the ministry to put in place measures and strategies uh, that would support us, especially for the culture. For instance, is that uh, in Uganda, uh, we were able to develop a COVID-19 preparedness and response plan that focused on uh, about uh, three areas. Continuity of learning um, with messages to parents to provide the basic requirements including sanitary pads, guidance and counselling and information on growth and development. So did, did Nepal have a similar plan like the one that uh, Samuel just mentioned that Uganda had? Unfortunately, uh, not to that uh, degree of achievement that it looks like Uganda had. Um, the, the government has been so busy trying to rally support and manage uh, the, the, the situation, the pandemic, because, you know, we have a very, very large open border with India and we know the condition in India. And so uh, it, 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 it's, it's a very difficult, it was, and it continues to be something that was very difficult for them to sort of rally support for that. Uh, we, we did advocate for the inclusion of menstrual supplies as a part of the essential supplies list that went to COVID uh, quarantine and isolation centers. Those are the things we could do. Uh, we are even under the, the really strict lockdown now, we are trying to rally support from government uh, sort of uh, agencies and do the menstrual hygiene day, which is on Friday. And uh, yeah, so we've been only able to do that and I wish we could do more. And in, in another situation, probably post-COVID, uh, we, we would be able to, because we've always worked to advocate with government and government has been very, very responsive to it. But it's, it's a very different situation. So we are also trying to learn how to go about and navigate the situation. So, yeah, so we've not been able to make those uh, amazing um, achievements that Uganda seems to have made. You're right. That's That seems to be a key difference uh, between both countries. Thank you. Looking past uh, MHM Day and thinking of a time when COVID-19 is a bit more under control, fingers crossed that it'll be soon, what are the next steps you think need to be taken uh, to advance with the menstrual health and hygiene management uh, agenda? I think something that has helped us in Uganda is that uh, with support from other partners, uh, we are in the process of finalising the menstrual health and hygiene strategy, which will give us a direction, which will mm -hmm. give us a focus, which will give us uh, in terms of... Uh, where we are, where we would like to be, where we should be, but also which resources do, do we need? So if we are armed uh, uh, with that, 
then we are able to really continue on pressurizing the government. Because what you're going through in Nepal is exactly what happens in Uganda. At one time in Uganda, during the presidential campaigns, the president pronounced a supply of free pads um, to adolescent girls in schools. And up today, we have not seen that handout. So it's a complex kind of issue and uh, we look forward how you are handling, share with us how you are able to handle uh, yeah. like the, the government to, to really see that our calls are followed upon. But I think for me, it's, uh, as a watch practitioner, is that when we look at a call like uh, funding, we need to look at mm-hmm. what are the pro- indicators of funding and we recognize that as we continue to pressurize the government. Mm. So, you know, Samuel, in Nepal, the situation is a little different because um, I know because Nepal federalized, so now we have 753 municipalities and the funding from the federal budget goes to these uh, municipalities uh, to manage. And so the municipalities take the lead to to sort of um, allocate uh, funds to different schools to distribute. So that mechanism is in place. It is working because a lot of places are being provided. Of course, the next line of of advocacy is to make sure that there is a standardized product being given. What about the disposal? Is it sufficient? So all of that is there. I do know that the government of Nepal, and we were part of it, has developed a strategy. And, you know, the the whole uh, menstruation conversation in Nepal is, I think it is quite unique from what I understand, uh, because... um, Menstruation here is, uh, the, the you know, the, the stigma and the restrictions come before anything else. Uh, I feel that, I mean, decent progress is being made. I also feel that a lot of progress did not follow good thinking. But I like to believe uh, we try to do our best to be you know, sort of guided by our learnings, by what's happening, and try to be as strategic as possible. And that is why we don't distribute pants, because that we did in 2009, and we learned that it's not working for us. Yeah. It works for others. It didn't work for us. Because yeah. uh, we felt that it was a direct infringement on the agency of a menstruator. And, uh, and we were the ones who sort of uh, um, tested and did the uptake and acceptability study of the Ruby Cup in Nepal. And even from there, we learned that it was not going to work in a country like Nepal, where the wash facilities are, there's a lot of improvement needed, you know. So when we come yeah. to the convergence between health and reproductive health and something you insert inside your vagina and water facilities, it's a bad combination, yeah. you know. So I think those type of things about, and this is why strategy is important. And I agree with you that we need, unfortunately, menstruations become populist agenda, Samuel, I feel. A lot of people, yeah. they work on menstruation because it's the in thing to do, as opposed to yeah. you really feel it is important part of, of you know, of my being. And and so I think they're in, I mean, immediately you will see it in the way that people work. I'm sorry, Tammy, it looks like you and I went off on our own conversation and everybody's on the side. 
<laughs> Eva, I'm sorry. We are like, oh, we went on our own. Not at all. I was just listening there and um, it was great. It was great. Um, I, I actually had just a, a, a question on the last thing that you said, Bema, which is um, you were talking about how you you had found in your context that it was best not to um, donate pads or, 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 or give them uh, for free, let's say. Um, do you think even in the context of COVID, this is, um, would you keep that position? Uh, see, for me, uh, I'm a sociologist. Most of my work is informed, really, really looking at Whatever work I mean, I do with with child marriage or with menstruation, always keeping that person in the center and thinking if I was there, if I'm a chaupati practicing woman, why am I practicing? And if I'm somebody who wants to support her, uh, her in that journey to be able to change her realities, then what do I need to understand about her realities? And so one of the things that we did was earlier we taught women and actually we were one of the first organizations in Nepal for UNICEF, we made actually the training package on how to sew pads, mm-hmm. the reusable pads, the cloth pads. Uh, we distributed products. But every time we did that, I realized that it is also important for her to understand. And we did try to understand that she was using cloth and everything. So we went through that journey of saying that, thinking that we could offer them what we think was a better alternative. But who the hell are we to offer them that? Uh, I'm sorry I said hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Eva. Not at all. It just Should came I, out. Be, be, be. <laughs> I have to tone myself down every time. But generally, no, yeah. the point is that who are we? You know, I think even when we go to any community and start distributing pads, we really need to think long term. 10 years down the line, will we be there to continue giving them pads? And if they are okay and they've been using cloth, why don't we sort of create a situation where they feel empowered. We don't give empowerment to people. They feel empowered. So they feel empowered about their choices, but we just create the enabling environment for them to be able to do it in a proper way. You know, use the cloth in a proper way. It's fine. The Western world is coming back to reusable cloth napkins, and we are trying to shame our women for using cloth. I feel that's such a contradiction there, you know. So at that point, I realized if they want pad you know, we will give them pad. We will, but the point is, how long can you give? It's the same story yeah. of a teacher woman, teach a person to fish or, you know, give them fish. You know, it's the same thing. And, you know, I feel that yeah. being a woman, I think we have enough agency, you know, for all of those things. I mean, we always, somebody is coming and making those decisions for me and doing all of that. And that's not fair, you know, because every time we make a decision and tell them what is the better thing to do, we take away their agency for decision making. So we at NFCC, we try to look for a situation and an environment and reality and a future where every menstruator makes the decisions themselves. We enable that processes. So we are the only organization also who are really advocating with the government since 2019 when they announced the distribution of sanitary napkins that you have to offer a choice. You know, you let sure. the young girl choose. You can't just yeah. say distribute disposable pads. You tell them, yeah. what do you want to use? We have cloth, we have disposable pads. Can you imagine how good she'll feel about that? Yeah. But every time we push disposable pads, we give them a very, very latent message, an unconscious message 
that if you're using a clock, you know, it's it's not a nice thing. And yes, to yes, I, be jazz is to use a disposable pad. But I refuse to take pad from somebody who's not going to give me pad until I, I hit menopause. Yeah, but Eva... Yes, Samuel. Eva, I, I think... I, let me just chip in. Is uh, I think... She's right, but we also need to appreciate that one size does not fit all. And in programming... No, I absolutely agree. Yes, yes, yes. In programming, is uh, uh, you can triangulate approaches. So I do agree with her that uh, the COVID, given the COVID-19 uh, effects, it was necessary for them to, to give uh, the, the handouts in terms of parts. But whose problem is it? Have you been in a position uh, to consult them and find out about their choices? That's one thing. The second thing is, can you be in a position to incorporate a mechanism that is sustainable? I keep asking myself, and my mother has not given me any answer, is that during her days, there were no disposable pads. How was she managing and still surviving now? How was she building that resilience to do that? And that's why we, we, we are seeing that it is important, as she has said, to empower the women and the girls with the life skills. So that those at the bottom of the pyramid who cannot really uh, afford a $1 pad are in position to manage their menstruation effectively using uh, a hybrid uh, pad which is at least hygienic and safe for them. So for me, I think she she she, she is right. She is right. Our programming needs to move to a level where we are consulting our beneficiaries. They are making their choices of what they need, other than uh, promoting the syndrome of handouts because it's not a sustainable kind of really model. And for you, by providing the four parts to this kind of uh, adolescent girl. She cannot use the four parts, the whole year. So you need to look at how do I, much as I start from the emergency perspective that COVID-19 has disempowered the economic ability and they need access. How do I start uh, by providing uh, the disposable or the hygienic, but then are incorporating an element of building their capacity so that I start small, show them the importance but concentrate more on empowering and ensuring that we are putting in place sustainable models so that we don't continue on having a dependency kind of syndrome. So, wow. Um, there's just been so much information there. Um, I mean, if, if you agree, I, I think that we would need to go to the end of the podcast. Uh, unless there's any... Um, burning issues that either of you think haven't been said and you'd like to say? No. Maybe from Pima? Don't get me started on burning <laughs> issues. This is the wrong question to ask me. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, it's official then. We've come to the end of the podcast. Samuel and Pema, thank you so much for sharing your experiences. It's been great to hear your reflections on menstrual health and also concrete examples of what working on these topics in the field actually mean. Thanks for listening to this Wash SDG podcast. Uh, make sure to share this episode and follow the Wash SDG partners on social media to stay tuned for the next episodes. The podcast is a collaboration of the Wash Alliance International, which is led by Simavi. 
uh, SMV and Plan International Netherlands. And it's all possible thank you to the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs through its Inclusive Green Growth Department. And we look forward to seeing you next time.